Hello, it's time for another week. It's time for another episode. Well, actually, your, your week is probably already underway, but <laughs> this episode has just begun of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and I have a ton of stuff to talk about. You'll have to just sit back, relax, and wait for what comes to you. <laughs> This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, this wonderful community over at patreon.com slash fatherodrick. If you join them, you will get extra podcasts every week that you can't listen to anywhere else. So take a look. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It's been too long. It's been way too long. It's been more than two years since I last was in Rome. But no more waiting. I am going to be in Rome for eight days, and I'm so looking forward to it. Um, the, one, of the, one of the first things I'm going to do is to get myself an ice cream at the uh, old, uh, what was it, the old mill? I, you see, this is how long I haven't been there. I just forget the name of my favorite ice cream store. <laughs> no, I, I really uh, am looking forward to, uh, to just hanging out in Rome. I don't have a particular plan other than that I have to make a, a report of a couple of minutes of the preparations for the canonization of one of our Dutch saints or beatified uh, 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 persons, uh, Titus Bransma. I'll talk a little bit more about him and how he inspires me in the, in the Walk, my other podcast that you can find over at fatherrodericcom slash The Walk. Um, but other than that, I don't have any specific things that I need to do in Rome, but there are a lot of things I want to do in Rome, um, among which I need to get some some new equipment, equipment, uh, some new material for, for my online masses. I, I just don't have the proper gear. I, I need a small chalice, uh, one that's easier to take with me when I'm on a trip in case I need to stream mass from whatever remote location in the world I am at. Um, and I also want to have, uh, uh, you know, these little uh, cans or how do you, the containers for the water and the wine and something for the um, uh, uh, the washing of the hands, etc. I I lost everything in the in the move uh, to this new place, and I just haven't been in Rome yet. Um, maybe I'll even go hunt and hunt for a new chasuble. Although my carry-on luggage is so small that I'm not sure if I can fit a, a new chasuble in there, um, but maybe I'll just browse and then come back. I need to have another reason to go back to Rome. Uh, I also really want to film a little bit more, maybe even film a documentary in Rome, but I'm just going to wait for the inspiration to hit me when I'm there. And I'm pretty sure that it's going to happen because I have got eight days that I need to fill. So there is plenty of time to walk uh, along the, the Tiber River and meet people. And I'm sure that I will get some ideas. So this is coming up soon. After that, I'm going to the U.S. for the Star Wars celebration. And uh, I'm also looking forward to that. But you'll hear more about that in future podcasts. I do not like movies. 
they're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So apparently Netflix has lost a ton of subscribers recently, and that is immediately threatening their whole business model because they were constantly betting on growing even more and spending just crazy amounts of money on video, on movies and television series, um, many of which they then cancel after one or two seasons. And there are so many loose threads in the lineup of, of Netflix. And, and they're still, despite all that money that they spend on new projects, they are still not able to keep customers on board. And it's obvious why. Because, because of all the new competition. Disney Plus is doing a very, very good job with their content. Um, you have uh, Paramount Plus. That's mostly for Star Trek and a few other things. Um, that's probably the least of their worries. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, there is Apple, who has just a couple of series and a couple of movies, but they're all so good. Um, and people at one point will have to start making decisions. You've got Amazon uh, Prime. Uh, there is HBO. If you add that up, it's just a ton of money every month. And people will start to only choose the, the platforms and the, the services that cater to them and that actually give them what they want. And so I, it feels to me that Netflix is probably the platform that is just experimenting the most in the sense that they don't seem to know exactly what they're doing. They're just like, oh, let's just go make a high-profile movie that, with a budget that you'd normally spend on a theatrical release and let's just launch it on, on Netflix. And all of a sudden the movie is there and it shows up on your front page and it's like, why have I never heard of this movie? And there's no press around it. Nobody is... It's, you, you can't watch it in theater. So only other people that have Netflix are able to watch that movie. <clears throat> It's a risky thing. This happened with a movie that I recently saw, The Adam Project. It's been out for uh, for weeks now. But because I've got so much else to see, I only watched it now and I will review it in this episode. But I can I can imagine that this hurts their their whole they, the, the 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 basis of me wanting to watch a movie is because I hear other people talk about it. And because there is a bit of a hype, that's why these premieres are, I think, so important. Not because <clears throat> that is going to immediately give you a, a big return in terms of box office numbers. But around a movie premiere, you have press. You've got people showing up. You've got red carpet premieres. This is one of the issues that I have nowadays with Star Wars. There are no more Star Wars premieres. And launching a new series like Obi-Wan Kenobi on Netflix, yeah, it's high profile. It will reach millions of people. But it doesn't have the same public awareness as a premiere in theaters, and this I think is ultimately what what. Nicknamed it the own. Oh, this is the wrong video. I wanted to play the trailer for the Adam, and this is the one. Um, the thing is, when you uh, have a movie in theaters, all the press will go see it. They will write about it, even in advance. People will go watch it, and you'll get a buzz with this. It, I see it on Netflix, and I saw the, the advertisements on, on a main page for The Adam Project. I'm thinking, I've never heard of this movie. Why should I watch it now? 
um, you know what? I'm just going to watch that when I, when I have time, which is now seven weeks later. So now I do my review, but for most people, this film has probably already disappeared from their radar and they won't check it out, let alone people that are, are don't have Netflix. They're not going to subscribe to Netflix just for this one movie that people talk about from time to time. There's no hype, there's no buzz, there's no premiere. So anyway, I was very surprised by this movie because it, it features a few of my favorite actors and it's a very entertaining story. It's not a very good movie, but it's, it's well, it was very entertaining. I would see this probably in theaters, no problem. But I didn't. And I only see it now, and I'm thinking, why would you spend millions and millions on this movie? And it doesn't even cause a ripple in the movie pond. This movie features none other than Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner, Zoe Zaldana. We're not talking, you know, B actors. We're talking like top-notch, uh, famous actors, and... Why, why, why do it like this? I, I just don't understand Netflix. It feels like they're just throwing stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But in this way, nothing is going to stick. It, it's the lack of focus, I think, that hurts their business. Anyway, let's play the sound of the teaser trailer. I thought the teaser trailer was actually more intriguing than the official trailer. What's going on, honey? It's the third time you've been suspended for fighting. I know, you'd think I'd be better at it by now. I don't understand you. Dad would. I miss him too, you know. But son, you need to think about your future. Because it's coming. Sooner than you think. You know, fall down and scream. You knew how to get in my dad's garage. You knew how to close the fridge. We have the same scar. Right here. And you're wearing my dad's watch. This watch. It's for me. That's classified, but yes. Where are you going? Time travel exists. This world, our world, everything has already been changed. That's why we're gonna put the genie back in the bottle. Adam? Dad.
Okay, grab onto that railing, hold on for dear life, and try not to pass out from the G's, okay? Hey, what's a G? It is so good. You had me at time travel exists. And it is this it feels like a Spielberg movie. Um, this could totally have been a theatrical release, and I think people would have enjoyed it. Um, so I give this movie definitely uh, a, between a 7 and an 8 out of 10. Um, it's very enjoyable. It's a real popcorn movie. None of the time traveling makes any sense, but that's not a problem. We're used to that. And all the actors are so charming. It's great to see Jennifer Garner again after all these years. She hasn't done many movies. She wanted to focus on her family and, and, and be a mom and to see her back. And she's she hasn't changed that much. She's really, really uh, good here in this movie. Um, of course, you've got Ryan Reynolds, who plays himself. He plays the same character in every single movie. Mark Ruffalo is also really enjoyable as the father of uh, young Adam. And then you've got Walker Scoble, who is, I think, stealing the show. He is definitely a, an amazing discovery in this movie. Uh, he is, I think, what is he, 14 years old or something like that? Um, a, a, a real talent. And I wasn't surprised to hear that he now has been cast in a super high-profile production uh, of the Percy Jackson series. They're going to remake Percy Jackson and the Olympians. And uh, I think this is a Disney project. And uh, Walker Scoble has been cast as the main character, uh, which is you know quite an achievement. And this may actually become uh, quite a, a, a long-running thing because it's a it's a massive franchise. It's it's uh, sometimes likened to to Harry Potter. So. Um, very interesting to see where Disney will take this. And hopefully we'll do a good job. But I think the casting already is very, very promising. So, the well, what you could gather from the trailer is that um, there is this time traveler who visits his younger self. And then, of course, the rest of the story is what the movie is about. But it's so well done. It's, it's funny. Um, it's not too long. And, yeah, that was a good message. It's heartwarming. It's not very deep, but... Man, did I have a great time. So, highly recommend it. Check it out, The Adam Project, if you haven't done so already. And in case you've already uh, given up your, your Netflix subscription, maybe, maybe this is one of those reasons that you should not have done that. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time for another episode of The Peculiar Bunch. This is the place where you can ask anything you want about Catholics and their traditions that you were afraid to ask. This can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk a bit on how to find faith in popular movies in series. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. So, of course, it is pretty easy to uh, talk about religious themes in Star Wars because they have been put in there deliberately by George Lucas. He says so multiple times. His idea was always, kids nowadays, everybody has always needed stories to learn about 
what's wrong and what's right, what is good, what is evil, what to do, which choices to make. The problem is the big stories that have always had that function of teaching a new generation don't work anymore because younger people don't, for many reasons, don't have access to those stories anymore. Um, they don't work for them anymore. So what I'm going to do, thought George Lucas, I'm going to take the elements from these all these different religions and from these, these ancient stories, and I'm going to repackage them into something that may actually work. And it did, and it did. So in, in an incredibly successful way. But what about series and movies where it's not so obvious and there doesn't seem to be the intention to, to transmit uh, religious themes or, or talk about moral issues, etc.? How can you still talk about faith in combination with uh, with these with these series, this is of course the big question that I get from my new followers on TikTok because I'm watching all these these, these animated series from Japan. Um, uh, Japan largely is not a Christian country. There's not a Christian culture. There are of course Catholics and, and other Christians, um, but it is largely from a totally different philosophy that's one I, one of the reasons i think these these movies and uh, tv shows have so much appeal but it's because it's a really a different world and especially anime um is is something that if if it's it's incomparable anime has been influenced a lot visually by what disney did but disney could never make anime like this even even the last airbender uh, that leans heavily on the anime tradition visually still tells a i think a very western type of story despite all the you know obvious references to oriental culture but in 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 japanese and to a certain extent also certain korean uh productions uh there is really no deliberate religious influence or maybe ph philosophical influence but but not christian how is it possible to still talk about Christian themes in movies or series that have not been made as a Christian movie? Well, this is, I think, this has to do with, um, with the nature of art. Art is, of course, an expression of the artist. And the artist has a certain intention and a certain um, emotions... Uh, ideas that he puts in his work but what makes something art an architect does the same an architect has a, a certain vision of a house that he wants to build or a skyscraper and the actual production pr product the, the the building is a reflection of his thoughts but we wouldn't call a skyscraper art so what makes art art and not just a thing that someone builds according to what he or she has in, in, in mind. I think art fundamentally has something that sets it apart and something that we feel is different from all the other stuff that surrounds us and that we create. And that is art has a transcendent, a transcendental dimension. What do I mean by that? It means that there is meaning, there is uh, expression in the art itself that goes beyond the intentions of the artist. So that makes it possible for someone to enjoy the 
artwork without knowing the intentions of the artist. If I go to the Vatican and I walk around in, 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 in 16th Chapel and I look at that, those amazing ceilings, it speaks to me without even knowing what was going on in the mind of Michelangelo when he when he wrote that. Uh, when he wrote that. <laughs> when he painted that. Um, so it's... It's and that is true for uh, for music even more. The 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 beauty of music is exactly why uh, why music can last for centuries. We we are still listening to classical music, and uh, a lot of the music that we consume from day to day um, sometimes just. <laughs> Becomes old and and forgotten, but but real art, like the best music, survives because it transcends the time in which it was written, the culture from which it comes, and and the intention of the of the the original artist who created the music. Plus, um, if art was just a translation, uh, or let's let's take music as an example, if music was just a translation of the notes on paper. It would sound horrible. If you ever played a MIDI file uh, through your keyboard or something, it looks so mechanical because what it misses is this artistic, like this life. And so uh, a, a conductor can take those notes and, and add meaning to the notes. So something may have been written by Mozart or Beethoven, but in the interpretation of um, a modern-day director who takes those notes on paper and adds his vision of that music, it becomes even better. It, 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 it adds to the original genius of the music. Just as my interpretation of, of the Sistine Chapel's artwork enhances the painting. It, I add my thoughts. Imagine that I would do a podcast, which is, I don't think, allowed. And I would I would talk about this this is what I see here you know the apparition of Jesus there and on his side the Mother Mary and then heaven and hell uh, the last judgment this touches me in this and this and this way and I see this and I notice that maybe if I would have asked Michelangelo what are your thoughts he would have given me a totally different narrative does that invalidate my interpretation of what I see no of course not it it. It doesn't invalidate it. It just enhances the what the artwork does. And that is true also for movies and TV shows. So I got some flack from some of my followers on TikTok that say, you're, you're making all these videos about Christian symbols in, um, in Neon Genesis Evangelion and other anime series. But are you even aware that this was made by Japanese people that had not studied uh, um, Christianity, that didn't know anything about Catholic uh, the Catholic background of the symbols that they were using, they were just using it to be cool. So you are basically telling stories. You're making this up. This, this, is, this is not present in the series. It was never intended to have a deeper meaning than just a show with robots fighting each other and with some cool things that looked cool from Catholic imagery. And that's why I don't agree. I think, first of all, that if you use symbolism 
you do that for a reason, even subconsciously. It's, it just looks cool. It still doesn't explain why you've used so many crucifixes, why uh, you use the word angels, and you give all these robots the names, the, the biblical and Hebrew names of, of angels in the Bible and, and in, uh, in other Jewish writings. The reason that you do that is, is pro- because it intrigued the creators. And in fact, there are interviews in which uh, the director explains, well, at first we, we really didn't know what we were doing, but we were intrigued by the, by the symbolism. And so we started studying it, and then it started to speak to us a little bit more. But I also think that they may have expressed themselves in a way that transcends their own intentions. And the, the story itself can be interpreted on many different levels. This is true, for instance, for the Matrix movies. Now, you know that the Matrix uh, was was multi-interpretable. So many different people have talked about the Matrix and why they love this movie and why it's such an interesting story. But the thing is, you get five people who have watched the Matrix and they will all give you a totally different inter- interpretation of what the movie means. We finally, at one point, got the the let's say, the, the framework, the, 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 the thinking behind the Matrix movies from the people that created it, the Bukowskis, they said, oh, the movie is one big metaphor for transgenderism, for uh, changing your, your gender, uh, which they did. They, they uh, were first known as the, the brothers Wachowski, and now they are the sisters, the Wachowski sisters. Um, so they both identify as, as as women. But, and I can see how the story of the Matrix could be interpreted as a, um, th- this journey where you live in a kind of fake world where the, the, the system determines what to think and what to do. And then the waking up in the real world is like uh, realizing that you are in charge and you can determine your gender and you, you don't have to follow all those stereotypes and expectations and uh, you can make a new, a new future yourself. This is what Neo does. The word Neo means new. So he m- turns himself into a hero. He becomes the one because he chooses to be the one. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, obvious that that is definitely one of the interpretations that you can give uh, to the movies. And since the, these two uh, people were actually thinking about maybe changing their gender, etc., and, and, and eventually went through with it, that probably was on their mind. But it doesn't invalidate other interpretations of that story of the Matrix. You can you can also read the Matrix as a a story about about the resurrection, about spiritual awakening, about self-sacrifice. Um, that is f- totally legit to give it another spin. That is why it's art. And that's why it's open to interpretation, like poetry. You cannot say, oh, this poem means this. No, a poem is supposed to appeal to you in, a, in the same way as a, an abstract painting can appeal to you. And, and there is no... There's no definitive uh, meaning or, or there's not one meaning of a work of art. The, what makes it art is that it speaks to so many people on so many different levels. And I try to explain that to my TikTok audience. That is the same thing with Japanese anime. You may say, tell me that, hey, I'm, I'm appropriating these, these series um, to, to 
proclaim the gospel, and that's not that's not right because it was never meant to to be a Christian metaphor. But I'm saying I'm just watching something that I think is very very well done, a, a, a very intriguing story. But because I am a Catholic priest and a geek. I can't help myself of seeing certain motives in there, certain themes that I also recognize from my own background. Does that mean that I have the the, on, the only hermeneutical key to understanding this series? No, absolutely not. But what makes it so fun is that I can explain you, hey, with this talks, this is how I see it, and it may open your eyes. And you're like, wow, I've never looked at this series like that. Just as I'm following a few um, art historians on TikTok, and they explain paintings, very familiar paintings, and then they add, they they tell me about it. It's like, did you see this? Did you see that? And then it's like, oh my gosh, my mind is blown. I've always interpreted the the, the painting like this and that, or I didn't even care for it. And but now that I hear this, this interpretation, oh my goodness, this is genius. This is, I think, why it is possible to do what I do. In terms of uh, 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 making these videos, it's just adding layers of interpretation. Um, just as you can do while reading the Bible, you can uh, you can apply the gospel to so many different aspects in your life. And sometimes the text will speak to you in a totally different way when you're an adult compared to when you were a child. This is because also the Word of God itself. Having that same, you know, what is the secret? What makes art art? What is this the source of this transcendence? I think it's none other than the Holy Spirit himself. He is the one who explains to us the meaning of life. And he speaks to us in so many different languages, including movies, including art, including music, including even Japanese anime. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I am having such a blast with a book that I'm currently listening to. The book is written by Seth Graham Smith, and it's called How to Survive a Horror Movie. <laughs> the book is all based on the premise that maybe, maybe you are in a horror movie right now. You may not realize it, but but, but maybe... The world around you is not what it seems. Maybe you're just part of a horror movie. How can you tell? And then he just starts helping you to to determine whether this is just normal life or if you are maybe unwill- unwillingly in in a, featuring in a horror movie. And how can you survive in, if if that's the case? And he's like, well, look around. Is it how is the light in your room? Is it kind of flickering? Is it is it is the rest of your house kind of really dark? And when you try to flip the switch, the light is not turning on. Ooh, you may actually be in a horror movie. Uh, is your car not starting uh, for whatever reason? And do you all of a sudden in the middle of the night get a phone call? And and you want to pick it up, but at the same time, it's like, who can be calling me in the middle of the night? This may actually be someone who is out there to murder you. And how can you survive? How, what should you do and what should you not do? And it just integrates all these tropes from horror movies in a survival guide narrative and it is so funny especially of course you you need to have watched some of these, these horror movies um to to kind of get all the references but it is so funny um and 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 really well executed it is a super entertaining read so if you are into horror movies and you want to have a good laugh about kind of all the tropes that you see in these horror movies 
check it out. Again, it's called How to Survive a Horror Movie, written by Seth Graham Smith. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. The James Webb Telescope is now fully aligned. I cannot believe that they made it happen. It is so cool. The James Webb Telescope, of course, was this fantastic project of a a, a, a telescope that would unfold in space. It would have this big, like almost sail shield to to cool it down because it's only when it is super cold that it can actually capture these infrared uh, frequencies that it tries to see. And it, it consists of many different mirrors that over time had to be calibrated and moved with tiny fractions of millimeters so that they fully align and form one image. And in this was such a, a crazy endeavor because it's a hugely complicated project and there were so many moments where this could have gone wrong, where, you know, something doesn't work the way it is intended. And if, if only one tiny thing would have not worked the way they planned it, the whole telescope would be lost because this is not like the Hubble telescope that you can that you can repair it's not made to be repaired this has to work or it doesn't work and so i've been holding my breath for for weeks now is this, are they going to pull it off how amazing is this and now the finally the, new, the good news broke that they have succeeded in aligning all these mirrors so you get sharp images and the last thing they need to do is to do some testing and make sure they get the temperatures all the way to the you know the lowest point that it need that the temperature need to needs to reach, and then they're going to show us pictures. They're going to show us images. And what makes, of course, this whole project so fascinating is that because it is such a sensitive telescope, it will be able to capture uh, rays or, or infrared light from the earliest stars in in the galaxy. So it will be a, a way for us to look back in time and see how it all began right after the Big Bang. And we're going to learn so much about the universe thanks to this one device that is floating there in space and they're operating from Earth and, and so much that could have gone wrong and it, it seems to work. These are fascinating times. I can't wait to see those pictures, those first photos. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I've been on Twitter for an eternity. Every year I get a message that, hey, welcome with your Twitterversary. And I realized that I've been on Twitter right from the beginning when this still was like almost had just started. Someone talked about it. I, I think it may have been maybe Adam Curry, you know, one of those early podcasters. That's how I got a lot of my tech news. And so I heard about this and I was like, I want to be on that, even though maybe it's not for me, but I want to try it out. So I started a, an account. And since then, I've been using Twitter on a daily basis. My usage of Twitter has changed tremendously over the years. I 
started to use it the way it was intended at first. Twitter would just ask me, hey, what's going on? What's up? Just like Facebook used to do. So you would just post, hey, I'm eating a sandwich or, you know, just mundane stuff. Over time, you could also post photos. And so and then uh, I, I noticed that the, 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 the way other people were, were using Twitter was also changing from more personal messages. It became more of a also a way to to have debates, to have discussion. It was used increasingly by influencers. It was used by politicians, by media makers, by newsmakers to promote their message, to share their point of view, to enter into a debate, and even to try to influence the way people think uh, by promoting fake news, by spreading rumors and lies and, and, and fantasy stories. Twitter has become a force to reckon with. And in all these years... Twitter has never really found a good business model because it is the value is in in all the messages that people share with one another the value is in in this discovery of of you know what's it's the pulse of society what's going on what do people think and everybody has a voice on Twitter but the thing is how do you make money with that it's not like a uh, a TV show that you can uh, you know splice in some advertisements you can they have of course experimented with ads in your feed but not everybody is using the the regular twitter feed i'm using tweetdeck most of the time tweetdeck doesn't have advertisement they then wanted to do like paid accounts so that you if you wanted to have the full experience including tweetdeck that would probably be a paid feature and and so on and so forth. Now, of course, uh, recently, Elon Musk has bought Twitter, um, and that went so fast. And 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 his uh, idea is, well, I'm just going to uh, ease up the rules a little bit. I don't want people to be censored anymore. This has to be a platform of free speech. At the same time, he wants to get rid of all the bots. Uh, it's a, almost an impossible combination of, of things that he wants to do. And he probably, and that's the most important impetus for him to buy Twitter, he wants to make money. What is this going to do to Twitter? It's very hard to predict. You've got all sorts of opinions about it, but it shows you, <clears throat> shows you how vulnerable our platforms are. And this could go very well, or it could go very wrong. If Elon Musk makes a few bad decisions, gets some bad press, people may actually... Just walk away. It's very easy to walk away from Twitter. <laughs> Millions of people have done it. Just as much as people have walked away uh, from from Facebook. I know so many people that never use any Facebook uh, or, or Facebook-related services like WhatsApp or, or uh, Messenger because they or Instagram. They, they, they feel that Facebook is, is constantly breaking the rules and is not honest. And so they want, don't want to be on that platform anymore. And this is, you know, over time hurting their business. Google, same problem. Can you really trust Google? How much are they? How much information are they gathering? When something is free, you are the price. You you pay the price with your own information. Do you really want that? And if if these companies push it too far, or make mistakes, then it can mean that a platform like that can totally collapse. This has happened before. Think of MySpace. It's completely gone. And it was the go-to platform for years. Think of Yahoo, how popular that was as a search engine. Nobody talks about Yahoo anymore. You Google something. But th this shows that 
it's always important, also from a PR point of view, for your own productions. If you want to get your message out, make sure you have your you own your platforms. Of course, it's it's important to use the social media to point people to your content, but make sure that you retain ownership of the important message that you want to share. Never just put it somewhere where it can be gone tomorrow because the platform collapses. This made me think of what am I going to do if, for whatever reason, this whole takeover goes haywire or goes pear-shaped, as uh, they say in in the UK. Um, What if Twitter goes bad? What is the alternative? For me, Facebook is not an alternative because I use Facebook for very different reasons. Um, I actually use it, don't use it that much nowadays because I don't feel like the algorithm is, is helping much uh, on, on Facebook. There's so much clutter on Facebook. The same is a bit true of Instagram. Once they started to abandon the chronological feed, Instagram became just not very interesting. It's very clunky as an interface. It's popular because it's visual, but yeah, I've never really um, engaged much uh, on 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 Instagram, so those are not really replacements. TikTok and YouTube are long form uh, uh, platforms, and they're not. I mean, there is a lot of discussion going on in the comments section, but it's never a, a communal debate. It's always part of the of the group that gathers around that one particular video, which you know can still be big, but it is a subset of the people that you want to maybe address or reach. Or, or debate. This is what is so interesting about Twitter. It is super open. Anyone, anybody can have a voice. And with a, a few good searches, you can find so much information. Also, very topical stuff. When, when, when there is a, a disaster or an emergency situation, when you go to Twitter, you always find some, someone who posts something. So it's extremely valuable in that respect. But what is the alternative if this, for some reason, collapses and people walk away? Where would they go the one one of the alternatives that i've tried out is called mastodon and mastodon in many ways looks like twitter feels like twitter but there's one huge difference nobody owns it mastodon is like a protocol uh, and people can host their own mastodon server and and determine their own rules of engagement and of uh, moderation so you can start a Mastodon server. There are, of course, certain you know general rules that you need to uh, comply with because otherwise you can't connect with the other Mastodon servers. But when you sign up for Mastodon, you have to choose your your server. Um, so it's very much like when you're playing video games, uh, online video games, and oftentimes they ask you, "What server do you want to be on? Do you want to be on server in in Europe or in Germany, in 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 in, in North America, in Japan?" And that will impact the group that surrounds you in the game. So if I go on to an Eastern European server, most people won't speak English to me in-game. So I stick with my European servers also because I'm in the same time zone. So that too, like, I want to be playing these games when other people are playing them. And if I go on an American server, that is much more tricky because there will be parts of the day that I might want to play a video game and nobody's playing video games because people are sleeping. This is kind of the idea of, of Mastodon. You you pick your server and then you first see the content that 
people post there, but it still connects to all the other Mastodon servers out there. So you can, if you know who you want to follow, and you can do searches for that, you can add people to your list of, uh, to your news list or news feed that you want to follow that are not on your server. And they can find you too, thanks to tags that you can add to your content. Um, and so there is interconnection, but nobody owns the whole thing. And everyone, everyone who opens a server to host uh, a certain number of people, and they can determine how many. There are servers that are already completely filled up because, of course, every every person you add uh, will take up server resources. And sometimes people are running their Mastodon server from their own home computer. So, But if you open your little corner of Mastodon, you can also uh, put some rules in place. And you can say, well, here, in this place, there's I we don't tolerate this or this behavior. And we will... We will kick you out. We will censor your your messages. But that's not a problem for the entire system because a person who, for what, say, I am on a server and it's prohibited to talk about Jesus. It's it, you cannot talk about religion. That can be a rule of that particular server. If I don't agree with that, then I'll just go to another server where they don't have that rule. And so th- this is the genius. You can still communicate, you can still follow everyone, but it's not possible to um, for, for anyone to take control over this platform. It's still extremely small. Um, I have to admit, it was kind of hard to get on it because, or not hard, but just confusing because you think, hey, this is like Twitter. It looks like Twitter. But then you have to make all these choices and what server, and then you have to, you get your own login. You need to give your email address. You can't switch from server to server all the time. So you really have to make sure that you know, and you finding other people and, and interesting people to follow is also still kind of clunky. It's like, how do, but how do I find the people? I was looking for Star Wars, for instance, and I find nobody is talking about Star Wars. So I'm probably not looking in the right spot. But things like that, are still, I think, a threshold. But but at the same time, I see a lot of promise in this, especially the fact that, that nobody owns it. So nobody can complain that the Mastodon project is wrong or anything, or that there should be more rules or less rules. You just make your own rules if you want to. But it's also up to me whether I want to be in, a, in an environment where <laughs> certain rules are not upheld. If I don't agree with that, I can just find my own my own corner of Mastodon, but I will still be able to be followed, and I can still follow people that are on, you know, in in different places on on this big network. Very interesting. Um, just look for Mastodon. It's available for, uh, uh, I think, in, in just in your browser and also as apps on Android and and uh, iOS. And with that, we've come to the end of yet another episode of my weekly show. Thank you so much for my patrons. There is another episode of Father Roderick to the Max coming on. And this week I'll be talking about uh, some tricks I've learned how to sleep better. I will give you uh, some ideas on batch cooking. (laughs) I want to talk about an amazing service that translates your videos in text and then allows you to edit the video by editing the text. It's quite stunning. I want to talk about a meeting of hobbits that recently took place and about my return to the wonderful world of Lord of the Rings Online. 
all that and more coming up in Father Roderick to the Max, exclusively available to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherrick. Father Roderick, that's my name. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk soon. God bless.